0: Lord, be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Lord, be on my mind, be on my lips, and in my heart. Jesus told His disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. He said, There was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor respected any human being, and a widow in that town that used to come to him and say, Render a just decision for me against my adversary. For a long time, the judge was unwilling. But eventually, he thought, While it is true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being, Because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her, lest she come strike me. The Lord said, Pay attention to what the dishonest judge says. Will not God, then, secure the rights of His chosen ones who call out to Him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord The second reading today says that all Scripture is inspired by God. you believe that? Good for you. Glad I got one yes out there.
1: Well, then,
0: how do you reconcile that first reading that ended with this line? And then Joshua mowed down Amalek and all his people with the edge of the sword. And what did you guys say after that? Thanks be to God. <laughs> That's not a pretty scene. It isn't God's will but there would be war, there would be killing. And so, how do we reconcile these passages of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament? Well, one thing I can say that it's not the answer. This particular passage, it's clear that this is self-defense. says that Amalek attacked Joshua and Israel. But Scripture has many different genres, and in the Old Testament, there are the historical books. And so we believe this is a historical book historical events that Israel has recorded, and they see in it God's hand. God does not condone our sins, but when we are in the midst of sin, God does not leave us alone either. He helps us out And the early church, and ever since the early church, has interpreted these passages and believe that the main reason why they're preserved in the Old Testament is to teach us a different lesson about life, and the interpretation is more allegorical. In other words, it represents a different aspect of reality that we don't always see. And the image of Moses at the top of the hill with arms out. And the battle goes well when the arms are outstretched, but when he drops them down, the battle does not go well. It is an image of Christ who intercedes for us. And we, together with him, praying and not growing weary in prayer, is an important part of the work of the kingdom of God to establish the kingdom. It is a battle, but it's a battle between good and evil. And the weapons we use are the weapons Christ gave us to love one another, to work for justice, to pray for your enemies, to do good for those who persecute you. And sometimes, I don't know about you, we get weary of all those things. And so we need help like Aaron and her to join again ourselves to the battle of good fighting evil using Christ's life, death, and resurrection and the power that He gives us. And that power is exercised not only through our work and our efforts that we can see, but also by our prayer the effects of which we don't always see until so they're answered. That Christ and God is ensuring us that that's an important part of our life as humans. The Gospel is not an allegory. It is called a parable. It's a story that's meant to teach us something, and so we can't think of God as the judge in this particular passage that God doesn't really want to hear our prayers, but if we keep bothering God, eventually He'll break down and give us what we want. The story is told to emphasize the persistence of the petitioner or the widow and then says, if this dishonest judge does that, how much more would the good and loving God do that? And so, we must be people of prayer. We are in flesh spirit we right? are our angels. We're not angels. But we are spiritual, corporal beings. And so, our working for the kingdom and our participating in the reality that exists is a participation that we can both see and not see. We are flesh, like spirit. We do work, but also we cause effects by our spiritual work or our prayer. I got a million theories of how it happens, but none of those really are relevant, because I'm sure you have theories. How does prayer really work? Do we really change God's mind? But what the Scriptures do say is we're called and encouraged to do that. Because somehow in God's economy or plan, it is important, that it makes a difference. And I can't help but imagine that a big part of it is Christ and His prayer. And when we unite our prayers to His prayers, that He stretched out His arms on the cross, giving Himself in love to the Father, the perfect offering poured out for all people, so that there would be peace, the coming of the kingdom. When our prayers are joined to His prayers, when our prayers are in accord with His. When we pray in the name of Jesus, those are the prayers that are effective and powerful. I don't know about you, but in my life, as a young priest, I tried to solve many problems when people come to me. And at first, I would work really hard being like a social worker, helping them find phone numbers and resources. And I still try to do that the best I can. But I realized somewhere along the line, that my greatest power was still to say, hey, let's pray. Let's go through this together and ask for God's help. And I have found greater success leading people to pray their way through the troubles and trials of this world rather than me to simply help them on my own course. Prayer is powerful. We're called to be people of prayer, to pray for our families, to pray for one another, pray for ourselves, and to help encourage one another. To pray. You know, the greatest way we pray as a people is in the church. Everywhere throughout the world, at different times of the day, there is a community of people gathered celebrating the Eucharist. And the Eucharist, we believe, is more than just a prayer, it is the presence of Christ, His life, death, and resurrection. Christ at the right hand of the Father, we say the head is in heaven, but the body is still here on earth. In addition to the Eucharist, the Church has what's called the Liturgy of the Hours, often most done by monks, religious priests, brothers, sisters, but its laity are encouraged to do it. At seven hours throughout the day, if you really want to do the full program, or five or three hours at different levels of participation. People stop throughout the world in different time zones and pray the psalms. The psalms are the very prayers that Christ prayed. And so what you have is 24-7. The prayers of the church are the prayers of Christ. Praying that the kingdom will come. Praying that more people find salvation praying that there is peace and justice, that the hatred and sin are overcome by love and forgiveness and healing. That's our main work. That's God's will. And when He comes again on earth to establish that fullness of the kingdom, He wants us to be working for it, both with our work and our prayer. And so today, I would like to ask us to recommit ourselves to be people of prayer. This parish, over the next five weeks, we're going to introduce to you a new era trying to build the church, an era of evangelization, an era of coming closer to Christ, a time when we're coming closer to Christ ourselves and inviting others to do so. You know that when I came here four years ago, we were in the midst of a building project. I spent and you spent a good part of our energies over the last four years building up the physical church. And it's beautiful and it's good. But now it's time to work just as hard, if not harder, on building up the spiritual church. And so for the last year and a half, Myself, many leaders of our church have been working with the archdiocese to come up with a new vision and pastoral plan for evangelization to help us reignite the passion for Christ to either for a first time more deeply or to renew an encounter with Christ, to grow more deeply with Him, and then to learn how to lovingly and gently share that with others so that they too might find that treasure. Over the next five weeks, we're going to lay out for you, myself, and our leadership council the plan and the vision. But the very first step, I would like to ask us to, to today to begin praying for growth of this church and more people in our community and family to come to Christ. And so today, I'd like to lead us in the prayer of evangelization that we're going to say for the next six to five weeks. And also, It's in your bulletin, and next week we'll have prayer cards, and I'd like to ask everyone to continue to put this in your daily prayer. And so can we have the prayer of evangelization on our fancy new evangelization high-tech screen? Let us stand and together pray as Christ encouraged us to pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You because You so love the world that You sent Your only begotten Son to save us. Lord Jesus Christ, You called disciples to follow You and form them to share in Your ministry of salvation. Form us as Your disciples to invite others to discover You, to follow You, and to share in Your mission of proclaiming the gospel. Holy Spirit, we pray to come into our hearts to renew us and to guide us. Be with our parish leaders, staff, clergy, and every member of our parish who is called to bring others to Christ. Inspire us to reach out to our family members, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and friends. Build churches to encounter the love of God in a life-changing way. We pray for them all right now, Lord, that they may come to know you. Our Lady Guadalupe, Mother of the Church and our patroness, Direct our ministries to be more fruitful and lead more souls to Christ your Son.